Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I want to talk to you about leadership and um, and how linked that is to the whole idea for us as Christians of serving, as we've just heard from that passage. And um, so let's just pray as we do that. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that it would speak to us, that you would speak um, from your word to each one of us, and that your word would do its work in our lives tonight for your glory. Amen. So Jesus is the ultimate leader. So we're going to look at what's Christian leadership really all about. What does it actually mean to be a, a Christian leader as opposed to, you know, there's all kinds of leadership. I think it's fair to say that we are seeing the results of a crisis of leadership in our nation. And we are reeling as a result of it from one uh, literal crisis to another. If you look at the newspapers, whichever side of your political persuasion, everybody's talking about the crisis of this and the crisis of that. But ultimately there's a crisis of leadership that is uh, very evident in our nation. So if I'm going to look for the perfect leader, there is only one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the ultimate leader. And we see the example of that not just here, but in everything that he does. But something that often doesn't get thought about in terms of leadership is it's not just what do you do when you're doing it, but what do you do when you're not going to be doing it anymore? What, what do you, what's the legacy that you're going to leave from the way that you live and the way that you lead? I believe Jesus had that in mind every single day. He didn't just think about what he was doing, he thought about what was going to happen as a result he was doing and what was going to happen when he was no longer there to do it. He began with the end in mind. I've been coached by Stephen Covey's people, the Franklin Covey people, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the things that they say, first of all, to do is uh, start with the end in mind. Jesus started with the end in mind. The leader's first job in every role is to think about your last day. It's to actually think about when you are no longer doing that. What's going to happen? Too often what happens when a leader finishes is everything that they've built just crumbles. It was like they were no longer there. It was like they just weren't there because what they haven't done is thought about a succession plan. And that isn't necessarily that you know when the date is, but to know... I could get run over by a bus tomorrow. What happens then? If I've just built everything up such that it depends upon me, when I'm gone, it has gone. So we need to be aware of that and live knowing that that's going to happen. And Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to go to a cross. Seems to me he had three years of ministry, he had 30 years of uh, ministering as a learning a trade, being with ordinary people, as God among people, doing work before he did anything you might call church work. He was doing what some people otherwise might think of as real work for 30 years. So he knows what it's like to be to be doing that. You know, he made. I've read something recently. Somebody said um, that 
that one of the jobs of a carpenter would be to make yokes for oxen. That, that's one of the things that Jesus would have learned to have been able to do. So then when he comes along and says to people, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he actually knew what he was talking about because he made yoke. He made those things that go on the oxen and he knew that you had to shape them just right so that the oxen didn't get chafed and sore and, and end up with sores and being put out of action. So, you know, he, those kind of things weren't removed from his leadership they were part of who he was because who we are comes out in how we lead and ultimately Jesus you know there's a phrase isn't there there's no success without a successor Jesus was looking for I'm going to go to heaven he actually said it's going to be better for you that I go to heaven now they wouldn't think that I don't think that he says it's going to be better for you that I go because when I go I'm going to send somebody I'm going to the Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever but at the same time, he was looking for some people that he'd be, in, be able to entrust his leadership to. He'd be able to give them his mantle, effectively, and be able to pass some things on to them. See, sometimes different metaphors get used for ministry. Um, I've heard people say, remember, ministry is not uh, a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, it's a long-term job. Sometimes we can just think, well, if we can just have this great weekend or if we can have that, that event, then everything will be great. But actually, it, it usually, I've found it takes longer than we think. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But actually, it isn't just a marathon. It's kind of a marathon relay. Because I'm meant to run my race well, and it's a long race, but I've also realised that I'm running, holding on to the baton that's been passed on to me, because some people have given me some things that I've learned about God, and they've placed that in my hands, and I'd better hold on to that and run with that as well and as fast and as long as I have to. But at some point, if, you, if you've ever seen a relay race, you know that there's this transition space. There's a, there's a gap that you're running towards and there's some people who are waiting and they should be waiting expectantly like this. There's some people, and I don't know if you're one of them, that's waiting for, yeah, come on, I'm ready. And then you need to make sure that you pass that baton on to the right one. And you run with your baton, but you haven't done your job right until you've passed that baton on to the right person for them to be able to take that and grab it. And then you let go. You don't, it's not going to help the race for you to hold on to it as well and kind of run with them. You want to pass it on and then cheer them on. The church has often not been very good at this. Sometimes what's happened is leaders even like me, would get to a certain point. I'm 50, I can never know how old I am. Anyway, I'm mid-50s somewhere. And, and, I'm, and literally, I need to be thinking about what happens in the future. Who do I pass ministry onto? I want to be doing that all the time. i do not talking about when I retire. I don't ever believe in retiring. I'm going to work for Jesus until he takes me to work for him in heaven, just in different ways. Sometimes I get paid, sometimes I won't. I've already been paid 2,000 years ago at a cross. So I'll run 
And I want to pass some things on. And I'm looking for who am I going to pass those things on to. And I believe that Jesus did that. Too many leaders in churches run and they're doing really well. And they get to maybe my age or a little bit older and they're doing really well. And then they kind of get to enjoy it so much and everybody says it's going really well. That when it comes to passing the baton on, they don't do it. Because the crowd's cheering them and they feel like finally I'm making it. And they're cheering and so they go... And just run right past the people who were waiting there to receive what was supposed to be received. And then they end up trying to do another lap themselves. And, and halfway round they collapse or something happens because they didn't pass it on when they were meant to pass it on. Or they didn't pass it on the way that they were meant to pass it on. Or they passed it on to the wrong person. All these things are to do with leadership because it really matters in the end. Because it, actually it's all about generations. God's very into generations. God always thinks and plans and talks generationally. He never talks about just being a single person's God. He says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's like, he's always got yesterday, today and forever in mind. And we should too in terms of our generation and our generations. See, Jesus knew that he had three years. So during that time, he gathered some people. He gave them teaching that's why some of them called him teacher he said that he called me teacher he gave them time spent time with them he gave them teaching so they'd know about him he gave them time so that they would know him and he gave them an example over and over again things for them to do simple things for them to do even in this passage you've seen what I do so you'll know what to do and it isn't just head knowledge it's getting your hands dirty or in fact getting somebody else's dirty feet clean so who's he going to pass the baton on to I think Jesus was really concerned about making sure that he did that right there's only two occasions as that I can find in scripture when it says that Jesus prayed all night One of them is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the reading happened, when he's crying out to God. The other time was he says that he went spent all night in prayer and then he came down and he called 12 people, 12 men that they would be with him and that they could go for him. And he named those 12 people. We know who they are. He knew them by name. He thought it was that important that he would pray all night about people that he would think I'm going to entrust something to you and when we don't do that really well and when we don't give it the prayer that we should give it and we kind of think it's just going to be okay that's when we often find it isn't okay so you carry on as I read through the reading verse 18 Jesus says I'm not talking about all of you. I know whom I've chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes so that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. So he's saying he knows out of the 12, there's one that is a wrong one. But he still loved him. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that amazing, actually? He says he loved them all to the end. 
including Jesus, Judas. He washed Judas's feet. I can't remember what's on my first slide, so let's put it on anyway. Next one. Oh yeah. See, for some people, ministry is just about the money. Judas would qualify for that. And Jesus loved him, but just because you love somebody doesn't mean you have to trust them. And what I mean by that is you don't have to entrust them with ministry. The only thing Jesus entrusted Judas with was something that he, he actually said was a very little thing, money. Now I'm not saying that money doesn't matter, but it didn't really matter to Jesus because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So he put Judas in charge of the money because he could always go and get more if he wanted to. Just send somebody out for a fish, open its mouth, there's what you need. So the G- G- money was no big deal to Judas, to Jesus, but it was a big, big deal to Judas. That's the problem. That was the problem with Judas. The money was a big thing to him. It was the biggest thing to him. For some people, ministry can be all about the money. The apostle Paul warned about it. He said there's some people who see godliness as a way of, to get profit. There's actually ministries that can be set up and the danger of it is they just become a money-making machine. They just become a means to get money. And we have to watch that. Ministry should never just be about the money. If it's just about the money, watch out for your spirit that it hasn't become a Judas spirit. If it's just about, will I get paid? See, I remember the very first time somebody asked me to go and preach and then they gave me some money for it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I got to do the thing that I most love to do in the world. I can still remember when it was. Um... What's your friend's Ayersy? Richard Ayersy's granddad, a guy in the church, his granddad, asked me to go and speak at a youth thing. I was in Devon at the time, and he used to gather all these young people from all over, and they'd all be these country kids who'd sit around on bales of hay, literally, at his farm, and they would gather these people for, like, for these events, and he asked me to come and speak at it. And I was like, great, can I get to tell people about Jesus? This is awesome. I get to tell people about Jesus. Wow, I get to tell young people about Jesus. Yeah, I get to be part of that. This is amazing. And then I went and I told them about Jesus and I said, anybody want to follow Jesus? And some even did. I was like flying. I was so happy. And then he gave me an envelope as I was going. I thought I'd have a thank you card in it. When I got there, I opened it up. I got home and opened it up. I looked in the thank you card. And then there's like 50 quid. I was like, I, cr- I cried. I was like, is it, it's my petrol money. But I was like, not only... Have I got to tell people about Jesus? Somebody's even given me some money to do it. This is like amazing. Wow, how kind, how good he's got. But here's the danger. Ministry goes on and after a bit you can kind of get to a point where you sort of say, well, I'll come, but I've got the following requirements. You know? I send my rider or whatever it is, and my list of stuff to be able to do it. And, you know, I want uh, white kittens to stroke or whatever before I go up and preach. And it can happen because it just becomes all about something it's really not meant to be about. See, for some people, ministry can all be about money. Je- Jesus also had some people who just wanted to come for what they could get out of it. 
Jesus loved everybody. 5,000 people plus, and he fed them all. Crowds. Crowds of people. But Jesus was never impressed with crowds. Sometimes church ministry stuff can be about how many people can we get coming. How many people? How many people come to your church? Not a very important question. Not a very important question. More important question. How many people are your church going to? Very important question. But it was all about me and my needs. And that's why the crowd. It says that Jesus didn't trust himself to crowds. He knew what was in a man's heart. He knew what was in people's hearts. And he knew that the crowd who were one day saying, yeah, you're great, would the next day be saying, crucify him, crucify him. So he didn't trust himself to crowds. Because they were just about the food. There was a time, if you remember it, he said to them, you're only following me because I gave you bread and fish. What I want you to do is eat my body and drink my blood. What's he doing? He's cutting back the crowd. He's like looking for the ones who are the actual followers, who are the disciples, who are not just members of the crowd. So there's times when Jesus will come and he'll say, "Um, I'm going to ask you to do something really difficult, something you don't understand. And then he gets to sort out whether or not you're really following him just for what you can get out of him or not. And he did it with them. And if you remember at the time, he just gave the body and blood speech and the disciples came up and they said, Lord, Master, do you realise that people didn't like that sermon? It was like, we don't want that on the podcast list. That was a bad one. People didn't like that one. And what did he say to them? Are you going to leave too? And that's not like, oh, I hope you're not going to leave too. See, Jesus knew what he was there for. And, he was, and then he tested 70 and sent them out. Sent them out. When they did great stuff, they came back rejoicing. And he rejoiced. I read this thing recently. It said that the word rejoice that's there in the Greek literally means he danced on one foot and then on the other foot. When they came back, he was like, yay, you did it. Amazing. He was so happy about what they'd done. But then from the 70, there were 12 and you kind of think, well, that doesn't seem fair. It's not about fair. I think Jesus is testing people. He does it all the time because he wants to entrust people. He tests us because he wants to entrust more to us. So, I mean, he didn't let all the, all the 5,000 do it all, but in the 70, they get to do some things and see some things. And they keep coming to him, some of the disciples, and saying, why do you speak to us? Why are you speaking parables? People don't get it all. And he'd say, yeah, that's why. There's some things that you're going to get that other people are not going to get. It's revealing the mysteries to you because you, I think you're ready for it. And then from the 12, he picks three. That doesn't seem fair. We don't like that. You know, if you've ever been on the football or sport line and it's like, we'll have him. No. <laughs> you know, I've been the one, we don't want him. <laughs> but to be picked by Jesus, out of the 12, he's got three. James and John and Peter. They get to go into the resurrection room. You know, they get to go and see firsthand. They get to go up the mountain and they get to see him with Moses and Elijah. They get to see things that other people don't see. They get to do things that others don't do. Why? Because they keep passing the tests. 
Not all the tests. See, even from the 12, there's two of them. I'm going to read it. Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in the kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? They said, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptised with the baptism I'm baptised with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give. It's for those for whom it is prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers because they should have thought of it first. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise great, and those who are great exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you not wrong to want to become great but there's a way of greatness let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many see the thing is with James and John Jesus gave them a nickname didn't he sons of thunder because they were all about power and they were all about position they were about prestige they were about I want my throne I want my place I want my title I want my car parking space I want people to know that I am the leader of whatever it is I want, my, I want people to know what I do for Jesus is important it's about my position I think Jesus took note of that how they manipulated how they sent the mum to try and get them a little space Sorry. <laughs> so now what we've got to do when we're assessing leadership is first of all assess other leaders that we know against such criteria number two how do you measure up what kind of spirit have we got? Because Jesus is interested in what kind of spirits we are, not just in what we do. In Luke chapter 9, James and John went to a Samaritan village and the people there didn't accept them. So what did they say? Jesus, send fire from heaven. Burn them up. And he's like, what kind of spirit is that you know which is a bit like that's not our culture is the kind of way which we'd probably want to say it but they're like power power to burn people with who we who disagree with us all these things are tests so it would appear he's a bit stuck because he's gone from the 5,000 and the 70 and the 12 to the 3 and there's only one left who's that? Peter ooh Peter we all know about Peter or do we? because we have this particular mind about what happened with Peter and what he did 
But I just sometimes, sometimes it's good just to step back from the Bible and read it as if you didn't really know what you know about it. If you just sort of read it as it is, is there another way to be able to look at it? Now, I'm not saying that this is 100% right. Just as I was reading it through, it made me wonder about whether potentially we might have got some things about Peter wrong. Because Peter had a big mouth, but he had a big heart. And that's what we love about him. And he stepped in where other people didn't do. And he said it before everybody else said it. And there's all those things that we had in the reading. He's the one who, when Jesus comes and says, wash your feet, he's the first one who goes, oh, no, my feet are all right, leave me alone. He, why? Why is it that? Because he's like, you know why? Because I love you, Jesus. And every time I see Peter getting it wrong, it's only because he loves Jesus. It's not because he loves money. It's not because he loves the power. It's not because he loves the position. It's because he loves Jesus that he gets it wrong. He loves him a bit too much. Sometimes, it would appear to me. When, when Jesus starts saying, I'm going to go and be crucified. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to flog me and mock me and spit on me. What does Peter say? No, 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 no. No, no. May this, may this never be, Lord. What, what, does that, what, does, what does that make you think? If, you were, if, he, if he was my friend, I'd think, wow, I'm glad I've got him as my friend. Because he doesn't want me to go through this. He loves me. The no Lord that he brings, that he gets rebuked for, is no Lord erring on the side of, because I love you. Every single time. But we always say, yeah, but we know that Peter, you know, he ran, he kind of, he chickened out and all this. I've done it myself. Preached it a lot about, about that. But then I'm just sort of reading through again recently about the arrest of Jesus. And you have this huge crowd in chapter 18 in John as we carry on. Judas betrayed him, knew the place. Judas goes in and comes up and, and tells everybody where he is. And there's this detachment of troops and, troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees come there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then t- verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. There's only one who's there who like gets his fisherman's little thing that he uses for the nets or whatever it is. But he's like, look, if you're going to get him, you've got to get through me first. That's the picture that I have of this. There's, a, there's an army coming Peter stands in front of them, between them and Jesus. Because he loves him. He's like, this is my friend. He's all about Jesus, Peter. When I read it like this, and again, Jesus says to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. It's like, it's going to be all right, Peter. And then we think, yeah, but they all ran away. Well, they didn't all run away, actually. Where did Peter go? Into the courtyard. Now, I've been in the police. I know when people get arrested, very often all their friends run away. That's what you do. You don't want to get in trouble too. 
the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him away. Verse 15, and Simon Peter followed Jesus. Followed Jesus. He followed Jesus into the dangerous place. And so did another disciple. Now that disciple, we think John's talking about himself here, was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you were also one of this man's disciples, are you? No, I'm not. Why did he say that? Could it be because he wanted to stay there? My friend's in there. So he told a lie. Because his friend was in there. I'm not saying it's right to tell a lie. The servants and officers who made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warned themselves, and Peter stood with them and warned himself. He's standing by the soldiers, the ones who, you know, one of them still maybe got a bad ear. Jesus has done the Healy thing on it and sorted it out, but, you know, it's, he's like... Then later on, verse 25 Simon Peter stood and warmed himself therefore they said to him you're not also one of his disciples are you he denied it and said no I'm not again why is he saying that then one of the servants of the high priest a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off said didn't I see you in the garden with him Peter then denied him again denied it again and immediately a rooster crowed just like Jesus said would happen it would happen but then you know there's that bit when it says that then they brought Jesus out and he looked at him and Peter wept why did Jesus look at him could it be that he was looking for him because just at that moment when he's just been beaten and lied about and accused of stuff that he's never done and covered in spit he's looking around thinking I wonder if Peter's here oh hi Peter my friend's here I don't know but I do think that Peter wasn't about the money and he wasn't about the position he wasn't about the prestige he wasn't about any of that he, was, he just stuck with Jesus as best he could and maybe it wasn't all that brilliant but it was maybe better than I would have done chapter 20 following on from John's reading of it resurrection day Peter's the first guy running to the tomb well he's not John says I beat him I got there first but just because he got there first doesn't mean that he loved him more or that he didn't you know and he ran he ran too not away chapter 21 I'm going to wrap it up what's the qualification for Christian leadership at the end of all of this is it being the fastest runner no is it being the most perfect follower no after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias and in this way he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, James and John two other, other disciples were together Simon Peter said to them I'm going fishing they also went 
When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, boys, have you any food? They answered, no. He said, cast the net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he didn't hide in the boat in shame he put on his outer garment for he'd already removed it and plunged into the sea he ran to Jesus through the water the other disciples came in the little boat dragging the net with fish but Peter's the one he's like I don't need a boat Jesus is there he might even walk on water again to get to him and as soon as they come to land they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread and Jesus said to him bring some of the fish that you just caught Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish he's just still doing what Jesus says 153 then Jesus said to them come and eat breakfast and then verse 15 when they'd eaten breakfast they go for a little walk together just the two of them and Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? That's the question. That's the qualification. It's not have you been at Bible school. It's not how long have you been in church. It's not are your Christians, are your, were your parents Christian or have you been a, had this position? Have you been a, a deacon or a whoever it is and this is the qualification do you love me more than these what's these I don't know fish nets boats other disciples Peter knows because he says yes Lord you know that I love you he said to him feed my lambs Jesus is the good shepherd the most important thing to him is his lambs and his sheep the most precious thing the thing that he came to save is us people so he's looking for people that he can entrust his people to and the qualification is not even do you love them it's do you love me that's why we're all about Jesus here at Ivy because the, the more you love him the better you love him he's going to help us to be able to love people better I'm going to talk about the rest of the passage at Dave Clayton's funeral on Wednesday because to me he was a man who who did love Jesus like that and as a result of that he loved and served other people really really well and was a great example of that but at the end of the day in terms of whether or not you qualify to be able to do anything for Jesus there's only one question on the job description and application form it would appear to me do you love me more than these whatever these is for you will you put me first will you just trust me and devote yourself to loving me and as you do that then he'll get you get entrusted with 
what matters most to him, which is his mission to help other people find their way back to him as well. So let's, uh, should we pray? Is there anything else? We, Hannah said before about the you have no rival line. Is there anything else that we've got going on? It's so easy to have these other stuff. And sometimes it can be about um, a position or a name or a title or, or it can even be about, uh, we can disqualify ourselves from it by thinking I'm not good enough. And Whereas the Lord looks at you and if we, if we can use Peter, just because he was willing to be used, then he can use you. And it's just about following him. No matter where it takes us. Lord, we want, I want to follow you. And sometimes that will be that it will mean I step out of the boat and walk on water. Sometimes it will just be that I'm sticking behind you and going wherever you're going next. Sometimes it might be into dangerous places. But Lord, I'm sorry for the times when I've not followed you for all kinds of reasons and tried to lead my own way. You just picture Jesus, however you picture him, walking in front of you into the future because he holds the future. We've got people here, I've not already met some tonight, who, who've got um, a new season opening up and you might not know where to go but as long as you know who to follow you don't need to know where to go because he knows and just say Lord I want to follow you I want to put my feet in your footprints those nail pierced footprints wherever they lead and as you pursue Jesus as you stay close to Jesus then you'll find others following along too He'll increase the influence. He'll increase the, those you're able to lead as you lead for him. Lord, I want to lead for you. I don't want to lead for me. Do you love me, he says. Do you love me? Do you still love me? He still loves you. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.